This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Soak Juices. Soak Juices is an Aberdeenshire-based, cold-pressed juicing company specialising in 100% natural juices, wellness shots and nut milks. They even provide packages to fit your needs, with their signature cleanse package being their most popular. Cold-pressed juice supports many health and well-being benefits, with each bottle containing around a kilogram of fresh produce, packed with anti-inflammatory, digestive-aiding, bioavailable and immune-boosting nutrients. And best of all, they taste delicious. Soak Juices also offer a 10% discount to all Aberdeen season ticket holders or DNA members. To find out more, to place your order and get your discount, head over to soakjuices.co.uk. It's Wednesday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 19 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott and joining me this week, as always, it's Gavin Baxter and Graham Steele. How's it going, guys? Fine, thanks. Not as good as it was for Ryan Porteous earlier. What a fucking interview. Lovely stuff, Ryan. Lovely stuff. And that is the only time Ryan Porteous will get any sort of praise on this podcast. And joining us this week, making her ABZFP debut, it's Erin Grieve. Erin, welcome to the show. How's it going? I was going to do Porteous's joke and he's stolen it from me. So <laughs> I was going to be really funny until I saw him do that interview. I think that interview is brilliant. I have so much time for Scottish football being just absolutely ridiculous. It's unrivaled. The cinch is unrivaled. Imagine if you supported like Liverpool or something. Just How think boring. it'd be... Just think it'd be so like a great you win 4-0 or lovely, but it's not the same, is it? It's absolutely not the same. No question about that. And it's another busy episode this week as we cast our eyes back on, well, let's say it's a controversial defeat to Dungeon United and we'll unpack everything that went on and the aftermath. We'll then take a look at the women's team and their league fixture against Celtic and we take a regular look at the young team and round up our loonies and their performances in the last week. And after the break... We'll look ahead to our first visit to the east end of Glasgow this season as we prepare for Celtic on Sunday. But first, Dungeon United 1, Aberdeen 0, SPFL Premiership, the 20th of November 2021. And after an entertaining international break, it was back to league duty for the Dons as they hoped to replicate the form that saw us take seven points from nine against Rangers, Hearts and Hibs and less of the form that saw us take zero points from six against Motherwell and Dundee. Two changes to the side that was beaten by Motherwell last time out. Lewis Ferguson due to suspension and David Bates with illness, both missing out, replaced in the starting 11 by Jack Gurr, making his first appearance since that exit to Wraith Rovers in the League Cup. And Jack McKenzie as the Dons started in the 3-4-1-2 formation that's been favoured in recent outings. And it was United quickest out of the traps, McGee throwing himself in the way of a Fuchs shot from the edge of the box at the opening minute to make a vital block. 
The Dons then began to settle into the game and started to control possession. A McGee free kick from the edge of the box, easily held under the bar by Segrist before Ramirez flashed a snapshot just past the post in the 14th minute. Jack Gurr was next to have an attempt at goal, his shot from just outside the penalty box squirming wide as Aberdeen began to up the tempo. Poor play between McKenzie and Campbell allowed Freeman to burst through on goal, but he snatched his shot, which went wide of Joe Lewis's right-hand post. McKenzie was then in the wars with a clash of heads when ex-Don Peter Pollock arrived extremely late for a challenge and Pollock was lucky not to be booked or even sent off given how late and reckless he was. Ojo was booked shortly afterwards, followed by hedges as referee Madden began to show the first instances of losing control of the game. United's Callum Butcher then collected a red card so obvious that even Bobby Madden had to give it after becoming embroiled in a standoff between Ramirez and Ryan Edwards and grabbing slash flicking his hand at the American's genital area and the follically challenged wanker in sky blue sent Butcher for an early bath. Three minutes later, Madden decided to outdo fellow corrupt imbecile John Beaton by issuing a second booking and a red card to Funzo King Ojo for having the audacity to be pushed by a 35 going on five-year-old gape in the front row of the Eddie Thompson stand, and thereafter querying quite what the fuck this idiot thought he was up to. An astonishing decision that seemed designed to even the numbers up. And there was still time in the first half for Madden to continue to demonstrate his awfulness, turning a blind eye to Peter Pollock making a late tackle on Jack McKenzie on the far side, leading to McKenzie being withdrawn at halftime with injury. Combine this with a late challenge earlier between the same players, United lucky to go in at halftime with 10 men left on the pitch. Another red card as well for the Aberdeen bench as Stephen Glass was sent to the stands for questioning Haddon's integrity, which to me sounds like talking truth to power. Hayes replaced McKenzie at halftime, leading the Dons to switch to a back four of Gurr, McCrory, Campbell and Hayes as Brown moved up into the midfield. And it was Hedges who had the first opportunity in the second half, rushing an attempt at goal as the ball fell to him just outside the six-yard box, and he lashed his shot high into the shed from a tight angle. Jenks replacing McGee on 65 minutes in what seemed to be an odd substitution, but Jenks was involved straight away as he met a Gurr cross, and his shot was straight at Segrist, who palmed the ball away. And it was Aberdeen at this point dominating the game but not making it count. Gurr went down with his second bout of cramp to be replaced by Longstaff, another odd change which saw McCrory shift to right back, leading to a central defensive partnership of Scott Brown and Dean Campbell. Try imagining that six months ago. And it was Longstaff who was then caught badly on the ball in the centre of the park, allowing United to spring a counter. And a Perry shot was saved by Lewis before the ball squirmed loose, knocked off the post and behind for a corner. And from the corner, McMahon's ball evaded everyone and fell kindly to Harks, who was standing all alone around the penalty spot, stabbing the ball home into essentially an empty net consigning the Dons to defeat as Aberdeen continued to huff and puff without creating anything of note as time slipped away. One positive note out of that goal, Fairfax Dungeon United for choosing to use Real American as the goal song when Ian Harks knocked it in. That was about the only bright spot for me in the second half. A second defeat in a row, leaving the optimism that followed the mini-revival of October, feeling like it was a long, long time ago. And Aberdeen leave Tanadice with another suspension, more injury worries, sitting in eighth place on 15 points, nine points behind Hearts and Dundee United, who sit in joint third. Your thoughts? Very good summary. Enjoyed that. Felt like I was back there again. Pretty terrible, wasn't it? Lots of, in lots of ways. Everyone was quite excited about the day out because Dundee United obviously came up last year, Tuesday, whatever you want to say, and obviously then COVID, so no one went. And I was thinking, oh, it's a great day out. It's a really good one. Dundee's really bring a decent crowd. And actually, although Dundee or uh, United are what, third? Joint third with Hearts? Joint third, yeah. 
I thought when we played them on the first day of the season, I had them marked down for potentially actually getting relegated. I thought they were so poor because we weren't brilliant. And then they beat Rangers. And obviously they've just picked up results along the way, but I don't think they looked that great yesterday either, to be honest. It's difficult because Hearts, I don't think, look particularly brilliant. I think Southkin Rangers don't look how they have in the past. I think Hibs, other than today, have been fairly off it. And it's annoying because in a season where actually we could have had a much more open league and, you know, anyone could have been challenging up there, we have just been completely off the boil. Not good enough at all. Yesterday, flashes of all right play, but overall, not great. The back is problematic, and I appreciate we've got injuries and defenders are out and all of that, and you can't help it. That's fine. But we need to be doing something, and if that is getting rid of players and getting more in, I don't know, it's, it's just starting to look very seamy. And we have a couple of good results. The Hibs one... We needed a win. Rangers was, I mean, I still think that should have been a win. I don't think it was a penalty. And I think we were unfortunate. I think going 2-0 up in 60 minutes is probably actually not necessarily the best thing you can do because it's a long time to hold on. And then the Hearts game, it was nice to beat their unbeaten record. But I think that all flattered us quite a lot because we then get beat by Motherwell. Come back to this, we've got Celtic on Sunday. I just, you just start to wonder, you know, where are we going to end up? And we're eight. I was going to say, it feels like we could just rehash one of our previous summaries, <laughs> you know, just put that out again, because again, I said, it's very samey. It's, yeah, we're maybe keeping the ball on the deck a little bit more than we did previously, and at points we look quite good, but more often than not, the position is just in and around defence, and inevitably, you know, we, we give it away to the opposition, um, and, and they get in, and it's just difficult to see where we actually go from here. I mean, that's 14 games now, so... It's enough of a trend, in my opinion, to suggest that this isn't going to work out too well. And I think also, you know, as Anne highlighted, it all sounds a bit sour grapes or a bit stupid once you've lost to say, oh, the other team weren't that good. But I don't really think anyone that we've played in general is actually that much better. The difference just seems to be there's always a calamity at the back for us, and more often than not, that's the difference. I would echo a lot of those sentiments um, to very very poor teams and an even worse officiating team good day out just a fucking waste of 90 minutes before we get on to the referee let's just talk about the game itself by trying to ignore the ref for a couple minutes because I, I think we can devote pretty much about 50 minutes to Bobby Madden I was going to say it's the kind of game where you know it gets decided by either a moment of magic or a mistake neither team looked like they had a moment of magic in them from anyone and that makes it depressingly inevitable that we are the team that's going to make the mistake in possession and then in defence. And it's, yeah, it's the story of the season. It's the story, frankly, of Stephen Glass's time in George Mabry. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's unfair at all. I mean, I think, you know, we, we were speaking about this in the pub after the game yesterday, and I, I don't know if Gavin and Graham have softened their view a touch on this one. You know, I, I'm very much of the view that I think it's quite difficult at the moment to to really judge exactly where we are because of the sheer amount of injuries that we've got in this in the side at the moment. I think if you look at the game yesterday, even if we decide to class Ross McCrory as a, a natural defender now, we, we start the game with one guy in, this, in the starting 11 who has played regularly in the SPFL in defence, 
we end the game with a, a centre-half partnership with Brown and Campbell. Dean Campbell has to play the entire second half as a, as a centre-back. I mean, I know that people out there have got their views about Dean Campbell and Gav, I know that you're not convinced. For me, there's the jury still out there, but asking him to go in and play centre-half yesterday is, you know, just shows exactly how, you know, how thin on the ground we are for players at the moment. I, I think that there is a element of mitigating circumstances then just with the sheer number of injuries we have, but it doesn't excuse some of the defending at the same time. The goal, yes, that we concede is an absolute fucking shocker. Once again, it's a, it's a poor corner by Dungeon United into the front post area. It's a powder puff attempt by Ryan Hedges to clear it. Watkins seems to have wandered off into no man's land. Campbell's completely lost Harks, who he's supposed to be marking. You've got a guy, one guy, standing in the penalty spot, basically, completely free, at a corner kick. And he's almost got an empty goal to, to knock into. And I, I don't kind of want to blame Joe Lewis too much for this, but at the same time, I think there's a question mark about his positioning there. Okay, he's maybe taking up a spot towards the near post because that's where the initial ball looks like it's coming in, but I'd expect him to have shuffled himself across goal a little bit further as well. From a, from a defensive perspective, the goal, whether or not you have a team full of experienced defenders or no defenders on the pitch at all, it's a shocker to have lost. For me yesterday, I felt, watching it in the stadium, I felt relatively comfortable throughout. I thought we were probably the better team over the piece, certainly, and I know we're going to talk about data here, and so Dave Cormack's going to get very excited. But, you know, we dominated possession. We, we did have more shots on goal, et cetera, et cetera the big challenge and this goes for a lot of games this season again is that we've had a lot of ball we've but we've done very very little with it i mean really yes the the only clear-cut chance i can really think we had was when Gurr cut the ball back to jenks who just come on the pitch and he gets his snapshot away but it's not a particularly good shot really i mean he, he's dead set in the goalie he hits it straight at Sieg. He's okay jenks has just come on the pitch so maybe there's a little bit of mitigating circumstances he's maybe not quite up to speed that's it for all the ball we had, for all the possession we had, for all of the chances we got up and down the line, especially in the second half. That was the sum total of it. And I didn't really feel so United were going to score actually yesterday, even though I had that unnerving you know, feeling in my stomach the whole way through that we're Aberdeen and at the moment we're going to concede goals. But I couldn't see that game finishing other, anything other than nil-nil yesterday for most of it. Yeah, like I said, I had the depressing inevitability in my head that, yeah, we're going to concede. And that's just that's just the way it is right now. Um, two clean sheets in twenty-seven. That speaks volumes to where we are. So, ah, agreed. I'd have taken nil nil when we were getting towards the end. I thought, you know what? I said actually before the game, this going nil nil written all over it. Um, despite my three 0 prediction on Twitter, because I like to be optimistic, I said to my dad, my dad travelled from Aberdeen, and I went up and met him, and I said, it's got nil nil written all over it, doesn't it? But you would have taken nil nil. I think. The problem is clean sheets is difficult. I feel a bit sorry for Joe Lewis sometimes. I think I know he's had some shockers and all last season was not his best time and I know he was dropped. I really like him. I think he has good captain qualities. I think your captain being your keeper is not, I think it's the right thing to do. I think it makes it very, very difficult. And I think he would probably accept that. I also think Joe Lewis plays really well when there's fans there. I think he likes the relationship with the fans. I think he likes that. You know, he'll come over, you see at the end, at the end he was the only player yesterday who came over and I gave Julius a clap. I think he is generally a pretty good keeper. I have a lot of time for him. I think we probably can be sometimes unfairly harsh on the keeper when 
you know, okay, there's been mistakes and things, but ultimately a lot of these mistakes could have been avoided if we had a defence who were doing their job properly. And not necessarily, you know, our first choice defence not being good enough, but more, I mean, a lot of it with injuries is unlucky, I get that. But, you know, even just basic stuff, Massey Longstaff yesterday, and I, I do try hard not to be too harsh on our players, but that was one of the worst performances I think I've ever seen. I think Dean Campbell gets too much abuse for someone who puts in a good shift. I think Scott Brown turns out to be a brilliant centre-half. Ross McCrory's not been in his own position in months. We are scrambling about at the back to put people into positions that okay, they don't play in, but they are still professional footballers. Yeah, and I think that was where Gav and Graham, you were coming from yesterday, was it's still professionals, they should still be able to do a job. I mean, personally speaking, I think there are some mitigating circumstances in that scenario. You know, I I do think asking Dean Campbell to play as a left side of centre-half is you are absolutely down to bare bones when you're at that sort of that sort of stage of things. Talk about Joe Lewis. I think as well, Lewis has struggled by just not having a settled defence in front of him at all this season. He's, he's not gone. I think we've only played, I think, the same centre-half pairing with the same back three in front of him in two games in succession this season so far. And that's not going to work for any goalkeeper um, to not have that level of consistency. And it's also three guys he's never really played with well, it doesn't really matter who it is, but it's guys he's never played with in that position before. As we all know, the best kind of defences, goalkeeping relationships are formed over a period of time where they build up a relationship. They all know what they're going to do. They can read each other's minds effectively almost. You know, Miller McLeish Leighton is the absolute prime example of that. And we're so far removed from having even just that level of consistency, let alone that level of talent, that it's no wonder that the goalkeeper's struggling a little bit. But I, I agree. I don't think Lewis is necessarily at fault for that one. Yes, I just thought maybe he could... I, I'd expect him maybe to shuffle his feet over a bit quicker. I think we should protect Joe Lewis at all costs, and that means putting a good defence in front of him, particularly Andy Constantine. I really like Joe Lewis, and I think that the clean sheets thing wouldn't be a problem either, because realistically, I mean, Brazil, you know, it doesn't matter if you concede six if you're scoring eight. And the clean sheets thing wouldn't be an issue other than, I guess, for Joe Lewis's clean sheet bonus if we were also scoring goals. But we can't do that either because we just don't have... You know, if we were getting nil-nil draws every week, it wouldn't be great, but at least it'd be points. We concede. And up top, nothing... I really like Marley Watkins, but he seems to play and then he seems to just need to have a rest. And he does nothing. I forgot. I actually thought he'd been subbed at first. The Dundee United, I noticed, didn't announce any of our subs, which was confusing to me. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. I understand you could make a case for there being mitigating circumstances on Saturday, but we're not really looking at that result in isolation. It doesn't matter which combination of experienced or inexperienced, whether they're defenders or whether they're not, the story of the season and this manager's reign is that we just can't defend. It doesn't matter which combination of players you put out. So, And going back to that goal in particular, yeah, Hedges isn't a defender, that's fine, but you're right. It's just a really weak effort to try and deal with it at the front post. That's his job. That's not about being a defender or not. That's just basics. And then all the way through that goal, I don't really think it's relevant if they're a defender or not. It's just poor sort of player after player is really poor. And Lewis, yeah, maybe, but I don't think he's got anything to do with that. I don't think it's unreasonable for him to expect out of the three players that almost had a chance to deal with it, it sails past them all. Yeah, I think um, the, the problem is going to come as well is that we're going to start seeing what happened early in the season, which is, because we can't keep clean sheets, the attack are going to start snatching at things more and more and more. They're going to start getting more anxious with things because there's more pressure on them now to score goals because we know we're not keeping clean sheets. 
and it becomes more anxious at the back because they feel we're not scoring goals and so they they, they have to try and defend at all costs and that naturally leads to mistakes as well happening. Talking about yesterday, um, our substitutions, can anyone fathom our substitutions yesterday? I actually thought Jenks did a good job yesterday when he came on, all things considering. Bar, but he's... Dylan McGeek is not the man I would have taken off for him. Certainly, I thought McGeek was probably, probably our best player. Certainly one of them. We'll come on top dons later, but yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so, I mean, again, circumstance, we didn't have any defenders on the bench. So when Jack Gurney's to go off, you know, you just need to shuffle the deck in some way to create a system that in some way looks, you know, vaguely competent. And, you know, Ross McCrorick's the right back. But on that, okay, McGeek off, I don't understand why McGeek was taken off because I thought McGeek was playing well. Um, now, whether we felt we needed some sort of additional physical presence or height or something in the team, I don't know. So maybe that was why Jenks was taken in. That's one of the only reasons I can I can think of. Or to try and carry the ball at the park as well because he, he does have a bit of a pace about him and he can run with the ball, but that's what Hedges is there for. When Gurr goes down, now, the entire second half, the right-hand side of the pitch was wide open. As was the left-hand side, actually. There was, there was so much space on, 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 on the flanks. For the life of me, I can't understand why the substitution wasn't Samuels for Gurr. I put Samuels into the left-hand side where Hayes was and move Hayes over to the right-hand side. And then basically you've got two flyers on the wings. Give it to them, get them down the line and try and fling, fling balls into the box. The idea of having to shuffle Matty Longstaff in to move Brown back, to move McCrory out to the right, which gives you no height at all in the centre of the park in the, in the defence. I just find astounding and I can't for the life of me work out what the fuck we were doing. I was trying there to picture in my mind the idea of a back four that includes Campbell and uh, Samuels on the left side. But I guess what you could do there is you could drop Scott Brown back in, make it a back three and then have the wing backs being Samuels and Hayes. Johnny Hayes did not have Johnny Hayes did not have his worst game ever yesterday. The thing is, I keep saying this, like, oh, it wasn't their worst game this season. That's not a compliment, to be honest, though, because it just means that it was not an absolute disaster. Johnny Hayes, not absolutely dreadful. The main problem is that we would get the ball and we would run, and that all looks very nice and pace, I think, is very flattering. Samuels is really quick, and that's really good, and I think pace makes you look very good. I'm not sure about the end product. Lots of pace, great, lovely. All oh, we're running with ball, how exciting we're near their box. Does a single ball go past the first man? If it did, the ball was like a magnet to Charlie Mulgrew's head. So, you know, they were pretty ineffect- ineffective no matter what. Yeah. And what are we... I think their keeper had one save. And you do then think what's happening in training because that is surely the stuff you practice. And I get we're not in our... You know, we don't have our best 11 available. But surely in training you practice it with your other options and your alternatives, presumably we don't just have an empty space with our first choice players would be it. It's just, and, you know, as you said, we could just, you know, look at one of the other game reports from earlier this season. It's all just copy and paste, run about a bit, pass the ball sideways, back and forth, boring, pass back to Joe Lewis for a while. It's same, same. And actually, I think if you watch, well, let's not say the end of the season because I'm hoping it's going to get better. If at Christmas you watched highlights from most of our games, and you didn't know which games they were. I don't think you could necessarily tell a massive... It's all just very... It's becoming a little bit boring. Graham, your thoughts on the subs? You've been quite quiet. I'm not really focused it from a tactical point of view. The, what, what he did seemed to just leave us in the same shape and the same sort of flat setup that we had, and it hadn't worked 
up to that point. So I don't see why you basically just sub like for like. I like the idea of Samuels. Um, it is right. Yeah, he's quick and it looks good, but questionable end product. But to be honest, that sums up everyone in the Aberdeen team at the moment. I just think if if it's if it's, if it's not working for 60, 70 minutes and you take the subs on and you just keep it exactly the same, basically with different guys more out of position, I don't see why you think that's going to work in your favour. You may as well roll the dice and do something different. And I would rather, I'd have been in, well, I would rather we lost trying to do something about it than just try to grind out a nil-nil, which doesn't work for us because just, we just can't defend. The thing for me as well is I don't even think it's that big a risk to put Samuels in at that point. I know Gavin's saying that, you know, a left-hand side that looks like, you know, Campbell and, and Samuels. At no point in the second half that I feel that United were really ever going down the wings, trying to exploit anyone. At, at no point did they try to do it. They did, United went down to 10 and sat in. That's what they did for the entire second half. Yeah, we weren't overrun, like everyone said. I didn't think we were going to necessarily score. But other than us doing something stupid, I didn't actually think United were really going to get at as our cutters open because I hadn't, yeah, you're right, I hadn't happened to date. So I'm not so sure it was that risky move. And anyway, it was nil-nil. You could take the view was, you know, as, as a point, really what we need in our situation or would three points have been much better? I suppose most people might say, yeah, take a point, but the season's running away from us. If all we're ever going to do is try and sit in and get a point, and then just ship a late goal, it's only going to get worse. I think given the circumstances of yesterday, given what happened, given the injuries, given the red card, I would have probably taken 0-0 at the end of the game. I wouldn't be overly happy with it, but with the way the game was panning out, I'd have probably gone, right, we take the point and you kind of move on. You've not been beaten, at least it would be a, clean, a first clean sheet in a long time. Eh, not a long time, really, because it was, what, hearts a few weeks ago, so it's not that long, but... Hips. Oh yeah, hip, sorry. So it is, it is actually a few weeks actually since we've had a clean sheet. So you, you, you get a bit more confidence out of that. I would have probably taken in a nil. Wouldn't be overly happy with it, but given the circumstances, we would be willing to accept it. Um, but I would much rather have seen us have a go. Um, at the end of the day, three points is much better than than one. Um, and I think there was an option there for us to do it. And I'm just still bemused, I think, by by the choices of substitution. I, I, I mean, I know we all don't probably want to get too overly critical on individuals. Oh, sorry, I was a bit mean about that too long stuff. No, but I'm going to do it now. I'm going to go in two-footed. He needs to be shipped off back to Newcastle uh, pronto because he's adding absolutely nothing to, to this Aberdeen team. Um, we don't need him at all. We've got about 900 midfielders. I wasn't really 100% sure why we did sign him. You know, people say Newcastle and that's fine. And you can put any, you know, big team's name on someone you like. But was he playing for Newcastle every week? No. So, you know... It, that doesn't mean anything. We signed someone who's James Wilson, Manu. Was he playing for Manu? No, he wasn't. So you can say what you want about him coming from a big side. He didn't at all. And you know what? I'm sure he's probably a very good footballer. I don't think he fits into this team. I think he had a really bad day yesterday. And I don't see at this current point why we're spending what will be decent enough money on players we just absolutely do not need when it's evident that we do need players in other positions. As of this moment, he will add nothing to Aberdeen other than, and Scottish football as a whole, other than being, you know, a name that people on Twitter say he's going to that Farmers League up north and he's going to absolutely piss it and he's going to go back down there having been fucking dreadful. One name for anyone that wants to talk up bringing a player in from the English Premier League, Chidi Nokwali. I think there's a glamour kind of transfer, which is, oh, they've come from this team. 
But if they've never played, I would think we're better. We're not better getting someone from a lower league team who's playing week in, week out and actually having some game time. Is someone who sat not even on Newcastle's bench really going to be able to contribute in the way we want them to? It's like putting players out on loan. You put them out so they can get game time because you're not able to offer it to them just now. And the idea is that they'll improve and come back and they'll get, you know, an opportunity. I I just don't see... I was interested to see how he would be because you think, oh, that's an interesting signing. Oh, you know, people seem positive. Um, I don't think that's that's worked. So I think maybe we could just James Lawson and out at Christmas. And I don't want to be honest, I'm sure he's fine. I'm sure he is a good player, but he's just not... We don't need him. He doesn't fit in at all. There are players that we do need and midfielders are not them. It always feels like packing your squad with midfielders gives you some sort of protection because they're versatile. But none of these guys are versatile because they can't even break into cover for midfielders. Like Longstaff, for example, hasn't even been able to break into that midfield when we've been a little bit short. So, yeah, we've just got a squad of guys sitting there that we're paying for. And I don't see... I think Gary and Gavin made a couple of points. You know, we go into a game and you look at the team sheet or who's available and you're right, right, if Longstaff, for example, or Jenks doesn't start this game, what is the point? And lo and behold, they don't start. And well, if you're not even breaking into this team, because although we're we're all chipping away at the defence tonight, I think as people have made a good point, it starts everywhere. You know, you break through the midfield before you get to the defence and you can see the goal. So the, the midfield is not exactly firing in all cylinders at the moment. And these guys can't even break into that. Um, I think you're absolutely right. Come January, whether we can do it or not, I think there's quite a lot of deadwood that just needs shipped out. And if we can actually get some quality in, that might help us in the second half. But I kind of fear we might be stuck with some of these guys or we just we just get the equivalent in from some other team. I mean, for anyone that's listening who, who didn't see the game, and I don't know if the highlights actually showed it, I mean, for me, the the goal comes around indirectly as a result of Matty Longstaff just pissing about with the ball in the centre of the park. And we're lucky that we don't actually concede from that result in breakaway. Lewis kind of makes a bit of a weird save where it gets knocked onto the post. And, okay, we should reset and we should defend the corner kick much better than we do. And, and the corner kick itself is a shocker. But if Longstaff does his job properly in the centre of the park, the corner never happens. I mean, for me, we, we spoke about it on the way, down, way back from the game yesterday. The thing I'm most astonished by with Matt Longstaff so far is that he doesn't appear to have got to grips with the pace of the game in Scotland at all. He seems consistently surprised that there are people on top of him challenging him when he's got the ball at his feet. And I don't really understand this. I know that people always talk about how the Scottish game's frantic and it's maybe a bit quicker than what it is down south. It's a bit more hustle-bustle. But at the same time, in England, you don't get a lot of time in the ball. Teams are pressing all the time. That's the way that the game is now, especially in the centre of the park. So you'd be expecting a guy to be used to this and being able to make quick decisions, make quick passes. And he looks consistently surprised to see people coming towards him. And it's not even as if it's like one of these classic excuses from years gone by where you could go, the pitches are like tatty fields. So he's not used to that. And he's having to basically take three or four extra touches because he's like he's used to playing on pristine surfaces down south. Most of the surfaces in the Scottish League now are are pretty decent. Tanner Dice was, was fine yesterday any decent footballer worth his salt with a bit of technique on him is going to be able to play on that. And it's happened over and over and over again. And I just, I'm, it's another one of these guys who I think have come up here thinking, this will be a piece of cake. I'll walk this. And 
it's another example of a guy coming up from England who who has not done it. And and I see no signs of him doing it. And for me, it's straight back to Newcastle one way come come January. We've had a few players who look just not even surprised he's on top of them, generally surprised that they're on a football pitch playing. You know, it's as though they mentally just switch off and then suddenly think, oh, wait, I'm, I need to be doing something here. And I don't know if it's just... <laughs> It's probably easy if you're stood there watching to be critical of it, but it is your actual job. And you do train on this all week. And unless you want a competition to be there, and sometimes I wonder if some of our players have, I don't really know why it would be a shock to you that suddenly someone's run past you or why, you know. It, and, you know, they must hear, they hear the crowd. So every time someone passes back to Julius unnecessarily, so for example, when we're, you know, actually pressing forward, and Julius gets the ball, they must hear that we're all like, what are you doing? I've never seen a keeper have more possession. Constantly, people are... um, Michael Devlin used to be the absolute worst for this. It was either Scott McKenna or Joe Lewis. I think he thought he wasn't allowed to pass to anyone else. And, you know, Joe Lewis must be sick of it. He's constantly trying to press them up and forward. Scott Brown is the same. They should be able to play football. They just don't seem to be able to actually communicate to each other, to, you know, string a few forward passes together. Passing sideways is becoming... Very, very dull to watch. And we get forward and it's all exciting and we think, you know, this is great. And I think you see the stats and I think they don't mean very much, but we were definitely pressing forward much more than United were. And yet nothing comes of it at all. You know, you think about kind of the challenges and the play in the midfield, you think about who we've had in the past and the way that we have, you know, tried to play. I think we've probably complained before about us not being that aggressive up front, not pushing forward enough, but we've had a decent defence and so it hasn't been so bad. But if you don't have a defence either and you can't do anything up front and your midfield just wants to pass sideways, I think we will end up in this position where in April time we're probably sitting around eight. And I don't know how then we can say that's acceptable given our budget must be, our budget's top five, you know, we've brought in a lot of players. We see ourselves as challenging. We've been in Europe the past, what's his Derek? So, you know, there is no real reason why, given the squad that we've got on paper, we should be down in eight. And some of the results have been unfortunate. I think there's games where we can look at them and think, well, we had all these chances, then they had one or two. But if a team has two chances and they score them because our defence isn't any good, and we have 20 chances and we don't score anyway because we have to do anything up front, we are just going to be stuck like this. And I don't know how you change that unless you have a massive look at the squad and you have a look at who is in charge of taking players in and in charge of that squad. And, and that is difficult. And I know people say you have to give the manager time. How long do you give someone before people just stop going? I think that's potentially going to be the biggest challenge for the board. Um, obviously, the club have just posted the annuals for last year and it's a, just a shade over five million of a loss due to COVID so that, that is a big hit to, to the bottom line obviously it's not obviously quite as um, significant as some other teams <clears throat> Sevco um, but that is going to lead to some challenges I think as the season wears on that if, if we do start seeing crowds dwindling if we see people talking about not renewing season tickets etc then, then that might force the board into some action I guess I, I guess it really depends on where you sit with this we spoke about this on episode one of this program at the very start of the season about there needed to be time and there needed to be realism and there needed to be patience for me. And I'm just talking for myself here. I'd all I'd written this season off before it even began as to whether we were going to really do much. I was willing to give some time for 
new guys to come in, take a bit of time for new ideas to try and you know get over for for a whole bunch of new players to come in and settle in. I'm still probably in that place. I I I might devil's advocate this a little bit. I actually thought in in stages yesterday we actually played some pretty nice football. Um, there was one move in particular in the second half where we where we passed the ball through the lines up the park from base clear one corner flag and it finished off with maybe not a shot and goal but it finished off with a cross which probably didn't beat the first man um, as most of the crosses yes it didn't but it was a really good progressive piece of football that I haven't seen us do for a long time I thought at Ibrox a few weeks ago one of the best performances I've ever seen from us in terms of the way we handled the ball in possession under pressure we knocked it about we played the little triangles we got out of trouble by trying to play football rather than just hoofing up the park and wait for it to come back again I see signs of things working I just I am also starting though now to get worried about the fact that we're doing an awful lot with the ball and then doing very little with it and I know that sounds like a proper oxymoron no I think there's nice bits of play there is you know there's decent passing you get some little moves and there's obviously there are little kind of obviously training ground worked things it was at hearts or hips everything's bad hearts or hips either one where where were we at hearts must have been because Lewis Ferguson's yeah goal where Scott Brown and was it Brown and Hedge has got their little thing where he, that's all planned and Scott Brown was obviously brilliant at that and I think you know there are little things like that and there's stuff that we do and Scott Brown generally as well but don't mind him in defence I think it's probably not his first choice position but it's a good position for him to lead out from I think he reads the game well I think we you know Brian Hedges looks quite good on the ball because he's quite a bit like GMS it's quite technical it's quite skilled looks good but then nothing happens and that's fine and yeah great you know 10 out of 10 looks pretty but I, can, I don't really care how it looks if we're not going to win another game this season. And before the Hibs game, I had us getting zero points out of those four. And I don't think that was, you know, ridiculous. I'd have taken, what did we get, seven? Should have been nine. But, you know, you would have taken that. Again, though, we do that in the space of eight days and we beat two teams that can be difficult to beat. We go to Ibrox and, and then we lose again to Motherwell. And it's just back to same old. And then, you know, this week, Next week's going to be horrendous, probably. It becomes very hard to see where you actually might pick up points because if we were losing to the top six, you'd say, well, that's all right. We'll pick up points against the bottom half. It's okay to lose to Celtic Rangers. But it's not, there's no point in getting a draw at Ibrox or beating Celtic potentially if we're then going to lose to County, Living, Motherwell, St. Mirren in the space of a week. And that is going to be where we get to, where, you know, mathematically, it's going to become difficult. Europe is starting to look further away. Money wise, that's going to make it hard. And the risk, I suppose, is that Dave Cormack has some money. So do we end up in a situation where we are blindly backing a coaching squad because we can do it and it won't matter if people aren't really coming because there's a hope that they'll turn it round when in January, without you know getting rid of a few players and potentially being able to attract others, I don't see how we do change it. And the problem is, you know, Aberdeen is not necessarily... People probably do, if you're a young footballer, you probably do look at the central belt first if you're offered an opportunity there. And are you wanting to go to a team that's in its place? I don't know. I, I think it's quite unlikely that you're going to be able to sell to players in January the dream of coming to children. I think where I am, I'm beginning to realise that all the talk of transition and experimentation and, you know, trying to do something new is something that I struggle with when it's the team closest to my heart. And I'm just watching. It's fine if it's like an abstract thing, if it's a team that I have a sort of fondness for. But as kind of Aaron's kind of alluded to there, like if we're in come May 
playing this kind of football. And let's be honest, it's not improved at all since August. The two wins against Hearts and Hibs are looking like exceptions that prove the rule that we can't put out a team that win matches. I I felt really deflated and disillusioned with things yesterday. And it's it's a struggle. It's a real struggle. I don't think his I don't think the collective recruitment process has been good enough. And I don't really see any reason to believe that will change in January. I don't see any progression on the pitch. I see regression. It comes back to what we said with Tom Watt. I think we've got a better group of players than what's performing. And I feel, yeah, a, another manager would be getting more out of this group of players. That's where I stand. But is the problem not though that the group of players is not actually on the pitch because so many of them are injured? That would be fair if this had only started after the injuries. But that, but that for me is an interesting point as well because I think this is why anyone that thinks that Dave Cormack is going to get rid of Stephen Glass anytime soon is barking up the wrong tree because he backed the manager verbally, you know, vociferously with that sports and interview at a time where we were on a runner form, where we had basically a first 11, uh, our, our, what you would perceive to be our first 11 were effectively fit or the, the, the squad was as fit as it could be. Hedges was obviously missing for a while. Glass is going to have in the eyes of Cormac here an excuse because of how many injuries there are. And it'll be very difficult, I think, for Cormac to decide to do anything against them on that basis just now. And as I said, because Cormac's got some, you know, he has resources, if we end up with dwindling numbers and, you know, people stop going because that's what will happen, it, it might not, you know, it's not millions. It's not going to be, you know, absolutely devastating. And I think, you know, we could probably, in the difference by, you know, attendance difference between whatever we're claiming it is at the moment, under 10,000, to what it might get down to, could easily be topped up. And I just think, part of me thinks, yes, it's very early to say, right, we're sacking our manager because there's been injuries, it's been difficult, transition period, all of this, and that's fine. And I'm quite impatient. And so part of me thinks, okay, we'll have a transition period, but is it one season, is it two? You know, do we get relegated? How bad does it get before it gets better? And I know that we can't know that, but... I find it quite difficult to accept that we might be stuck in this position now for you know, a few seasons where we're scraping around eighth, ninth, potentially worse, because after the Dundee result, it was horrendous. And if if after the Dundee result on Monday, Dave Cormack had gone on sports team and said, look, we've made the decision that Steve Glass is leaving, I would have said, that's the right thing to do and I wish him well, because it has not worked and how do we fix it? And I'm not sure... I'm not sure how we do fix it, other than potentially getting in someone. The players on paper are fine, really, if you pitch, if anyone pitched their best start of 11, it would be an 11 that in the league range should be winning games. And the risk is that in January, we struggle to offload the players that we need to offload because I don't think any of them have really put themselves in the shop window as such. And then we can't get anyone else in because coming up to Aberdeen to play in a team that's eighth isn't going to be that attractive. And so where do we go from there? And then we get to the summer and we muddle through. We're not in Europe. We drop the money from that. We're having to get into cup group stages. It just feels as though we made a decision about Gary McInnes, which was probably right, sadly. I'd really liked McInnes, but it wasn't working at all. But we made the decision without much of a long-term plan because Dave Cormack has a personal relationship with someone that he wanted to appoint, which would be fine, but not much seems to come from it. And we've got you know a huge coaching squad as well now. So we had... Derek McInnes before Tony Doherty and obviously they'll have had other people but now we seem to have practically as many coaches as we have players 
we've got an FA striking coach, and I'm a big fan of Alan Russell because I don't know if you've all seen him. He's a very nice man. But what is what what's happening? And the main striker that we brought in, he was meant to be, oh, we've got the striker in, but doesn't play, hasn't played for months. And I don't think Jet is that brilliant. But are we honestly just going to have what we described as one of our, you know, the one of the two strikers just on the bench forever? I mean, Graham, I know that you're missing Jet. I have no time for Jet. He's a fantastic footballer. Like I'd love to play fives with him or something to be ace. But for what he's brought to Aberdeen, 45 minutes of time castle aside, I have no time for Jet. And it would appear that the managers of the same opinion for the reasons I stated, he's been sat on the bench for weeks now, given that he was getting a run out at the start. So I have no time for him. He doesn't offer anything that I can see. And he's no better than you know Watkins and Ramirez. But that in, that in itself is an issue because I understand club like Aberdeen's not going to have a brilliant bench because you don't have the kind of cash for that. But I'd like to have someone at the bench who, if you did have to come in and do a job, I think ah, he'll be fine. If he comes off the bench, I just think we're a man down. And unless he scores a worldie, which he could do, we're just going to be carrying him. And in a team that's already shot a confidence, you know, letting the opposition have chances, you, ju- you just can't have a man down um, at, at the top of the pitch. So he offers absolutely nothing, in my opinion. I said to my dad at the Dundee United home games was that yeah the first the first league game of the season I said to my dad do you know who he reminds me of and I said Sam Cosgrove and my dad said no 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 and I said mark my words he's a Sam Cosgrove big lazy doesn't really do very much scores a few goals but really hasn't got skill or value and isn't going to contribute and I said just you wait and see and now oh looks like I was right about that because he doesn't play which suggests that in training he stands around do nothing. Otherwise, surely he'd be getting in the team. And when I've seen him play, other than, yeah, the Hearts 45 and he's scored a goal at Wraith, he does very, very little. I think people were quite excited when we signed him. And I was because he sounded as though he was key and up for it and he was going to be, you know, he looked as though he was really looking forward to the challenge. And I know players will say lots of stuff, but it looked as though it might be a good fit. It's quite a McKinnon signing, which is Someone has a couple of good games against us, so I'd sign them. Curtis May in style, Stevie May style. And it turns out he's maybe just not that great. You know, if he's sat on the bench every week and he's not even getting on, what's the point? The only uh, critical difference there is what's going to be quite difficult to con two million out of Birmingham City for Jet. <laughs> I think the... that was brilliant, that two million. But, but Gav, you also made a very good point around our collective recruitment not being good enough and the concern about what we do in January and I think we're actually starting to to see the downfalls of how our recruitment went in the summer which leads us all the way back to the conversation we had in episode 14 once again around the fact that we went arse about face in the complete restructure of the club once the board decided that it was McInnes's time to exit stage left because as we've talked about ad nauseum about this, if you're going to go for a process where you've got a director of football and a head of recruitment, and one of the one of the yardsticks you're going to use when you're interviewing managers, which is what Dave Cormack told us all about on Sports Sound, that 80% of the candidates, however he came to that number, were ruled out because they wanted 100% control over recruitment because that didn't fit with the model. But then at the same time, we didn't appoint a head of recruitment until well, what was it, basically two, three weeks of the transfer window in the summer left to go? So it was over, wasn't it? 
I don't think it was over because I think I think Bates and Watkins were brought in after and Longstaff were brought in after to, um I was gonna call him Tony Mowbray there. Um Darren Mowbray was brought in, but it does leave you to the question marks still around well, who was the person responsible for signing the guys that came in the door beforehand? Scott Brown, fine, it's a known commodity. We know what you're getting out of Scott Brown. So that one makes perfect sense. Plus, he was coming as a part of the coaching setup, so fine. But you know, Erin's right. Jet to me looks like a signing more and more now that. Stephen Glass came in at the end of last season. We played Livingston twice in quick succession in that in, in that run of games. Jet played very well in both of those games against us. He he ran the show for Livingston in the cup at Pataudry, scored an absolute beauty of a goal at Almond Vale. I can kind of understand why a coaching staff looking at that would go, fuck, he looks a bit of a player, eh? And he's available. Well, he looks like he can cut it in this league. He did pretty well there. All right, bring him in. Now, that, that does lead to huge question marks about due diligence and doing proper research on a guy because if you look at Jet's career, like that run of fixtures at Livingston is, is pretty much par for the course. But it does leave a huge question mark about decisions to bring in the likes of Jenks, to bring in the likes of Gurr. Okay, he's a known commodity to Stephen Glass, but is he really good enough for the SPFL? Thought, in fairness to him, I, I didn't think he did an awful lot wrong yesterday. I've seen some people slating him online. I thought he did okay. I I I, I wasn't too concerned about Jack Gurry yesterday. Um, but it's, it all comes back to that, which is why the January window now is going to be so critical because at least for the first time, we're going to have this setup in place. And I'd like to see what we actually do with that going forward. I know that was a very long-winded way of saying, go and listen to episode 14. But I think the, the root cause of a lot of our issues are still what happened in the summer. I think in January, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone. I wouldn't want to ruin the surprise, but I think we're going to sign midfielders. I've got a feeling. I think maybe maybe three. I just I think that's what we'll do. How many will leave? But None. we're not going to move any out, right? No, no, yeah. no, no. going to go. And um, we might try and put someone out alone, but probably we might put one out alone, and then I think we'll get three midfielders. The thing is, Dan Kenneth was obsessed with midfielders. So you kind of think at least if we get a new manager, it might be maybe like open to other positions. No, still the midfielders. But but that's I've heard people say this before, and I'm like, but that perhaps speaks volumes about the midfielders that are already there that they were so shit that the new manager has to come in and go, fuck these men, I need to buy more midfielders because these guys are shit. It's like a it's just a revolving door of midfielders. Trying to think who's there. Um, Ferguson, I think good. Obviously, it's defended yesterday. Um, Ferguson, I think good. I think Hayes and McGinn get a lot of abuse. I think when actually. Both of them have been all right. Johnny Hayes, to be fair, is very hit and miss in a few games. I thought he was absolutely dreadful. I thought he was okay as Chester. I thought he had a good game at Ibrox. I think both Hayes and McGinn are not going to be able to play 90 minutes every week, but that is actually fine. You don't necessarily need you know, you don't need all your players to have to play 90 minutes. McGinn is quite good for coming on, changing a game. I think there are value in some of the players that we still have. But I don't really understand why when we had an all right-ish midfield, and I can understand last thinking, results haven't been going well, there must be an issue. But it's as though he's just looked at it and thought, what do we have lots of right midfielders, so they must be the problem, we'll just get more. Whereas actually the issue really was defence because we had injuries and problems, Ash Taylor left, which actually, and I'll probably get, people won't like this, I think Ash Taylor was actually fine, and I think we could do quite well with Ash Taylor right now. I would have him back tomorrow. I thought he was fine as well. Prone to the occasional error, but who isn't? But more often than not, I thought he was pretty solid. And when you look back at his first stint, when we were, you know, really, really solid defence, he was part of that 
defence and going on runs of you know X wins in a row and stuff like that. So yeah, he got a lot of criticism. Some of it justified, a lot of it not, in my opinion. And he's not a downgrade on what we're seeing to date, anyway. No, I think Bates is um, an interesting one so far. I'm not. Was it Dundee? I think I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So much long staff yesterday. I'm not sure you knew what was going on, and that's a worry because you know, do we just get a whole new defence in January? Can we do that? I mean, I guess in theory we could try, but then where do we get them from? Who do we attract? What money do we have? And you just you know, how you know do you just get a whole new team? It is difficult, and we're playing Ramsey and McKenzie, which I like, but I don't think we can play them. I think we need to think about who we are actually playing them. And I don't know if it's the answer to basically have them playing as wing-backs and then have two in the middle at the back because that obviously doesn't work because Gallagher and Bates, I think it's been, have just been all over the place. I just think there doesn't seem to be much structure. There doesn't seem to be any kind of plan. There doesn't look as though similar... And this is the same as McKinnish, really, which is, you know, the starting lineup comes out and it's, well, the Tom is out and who is it this week? Again, because... There doesn't seem to be any idea of who's the preferred starting eleven, and injuries probably played a part in that. But I just, I just don't know how we fix this, and I'm not sure if Stephen Glass is the right person to fix it. I'm, ju- I just don't know what we do from here, and it'd be interesting to see. And I'd like to be wrong. I'd love it if we ended up having a really good second half of the season, got to Europe. But the way it's looking, if anything it's probably just going to get worse because other teams will strengthen in January. And I'm just not sure if we know how to do that. I guess the issue is there that you can run through the midfield or the defence and say individually they're all good players, but collectively we cannot work a way to get them into a team where it all works out for us. I'm going to maintain a very dignified silence about Ash Taylor um, for fear that he might be brought back for a third uh, stint. Would you honestly not have him back right now? No, he can't get a game for Walsall. If, if Aberdeen Football Club want to be where we aim to be, Ash Taylor is not good enough. And I still have a real bitter taste about someone who decides that he's too big for Aberdeen Football Club and joins fucking Northampton Town. So, fuck that. Who I actually do really genuinely miss, and this is another player who gets a lot of undeserved criticism, Andy Constein. This will not be happening on his watch. I miss him every single day. I think that's a very fair point because I think the experience that Constein brings would... The, the experience Constein brings to the setup is we are missing that big time, undoubtedly. And that has been a big miss for us this season, definitely. Listen, we've spoken a lot about yesterday. We've painted Matty Longstaff into the villain of the piece, but I think there was one more villain of the piece, a much bigger villain of the piece. Bobby Madden. Just... It's the Bobby Madden show, isn't it? Was it they say the best referees are the ones you don't notice? Well, yeah, I think Gav or I can't remember who it was out of us that tweeted it yesterday, but the worst, not the worst thing, but one of the worst things about the fact about what happened yesterday is the fact that you absolutely knew that Bobby Madden was loving every minute of being centre of attention. In the second half, when he was getting dogs abused down at the, the Aberdeen end, he was standing smiling and laughing about it. And it's like, I don't know, any referee worth his salt who knew how badly he got that wrong would have been basically turning his back to the crowd, not getting involved in it. And uh, I don't even know where to go with I don't even know how to begin talking about what happened yesterday. I, I still ask for people to send me a direct link to this rule that made that a yellow card. Yeah, so I've had to think about this and I got my laws of the game out earlier because I thought I'm going to do some prep with my appearance. Um, 
so um, and I've got my proper book for it. I must say proper book version. It just feels more official when you're skimming through a book. So leaving the field of play without permission, but that's not, you know, the momentum takes from all the hoardings and goes for the ball. That is very standard. It would be bizarre for him to have been booked for that when going off the field to collect the ball. And similarly, you know, just coming off the field because you're running at pace is standard. You've got the covers quite a lot of stuff, the kind of maintaining the upkeeping the respect of the game, etc. Don't see how that is in any way anything that Ojo's done there that's wrong at all. I really don't, I honestly really don't get it. And I think it is a very odd decision. And I, I think Madden didn't see it. Because apparently there's videos of him suggesting that he's saying he thinks Ojo pushed him. But if you don't see it, the right way to deal with that, if he hasn't seen it at all, is to do nothing. And if Ojo had pushed him, it's up to the SFA, the SPFL, to deal with that retrospectively. Not for Bobby Adams to decide something's gone on that hasn't gone on because he hasn't seen it. I don't think he has seen it. No, he absolutely hasn't. The only thing I can presume, that, and it'll be really interesting to see what comes out in the long run of this one, is that Madden's going to try and claim that Ojo's actions could have potentially incited the crowd. Something of that ilk is going to be where he goes, because I can't find any other angle they can try and take on this. If they try to go down the leaving the field to play without permission, that's a fucking absolute load of nonsense. That's the only thing I can think of. He's going to try and treat it like, you know, celebrating in front of the, the home support in a, in a way that's going to, you know, incite a riot or something. That's the only thing I can think that he's going to point at. But you're absolutely right. He's not seen it because... He's he's said to somebody or somebody's noticed him indicating that he did it because Ojo pushed the guy. Now, if that's the case, either A, he's guessed what's happened, or B, he's just made it up. And neither of those two things are acceptable. And a strong referee in that situation yesterday would have pulled Ojo to the side, would have said, look, I saw what happened. I'm not going to take any action. Listen, you can't get involved with the fans no matter what happens like that. You know, try and keep a lid on it, but I'm not going to take any action of it. Get the police, get the stewards over, get the guy lifted and out of the stadium and play on. A strong referee would have done that yesterday. And instead, I, I can't even fathom why Bobby Madden's decided to make the decisions he's made, unless he thinks for some reason he's made a shocker of a call on the butcher sending off and he feels he has to even up for some reason. I don't know what there is to say about it. If, it's, if he even goes down the line of, Ojo's acted in a provocative manner to the support. Scott Brown against Rangers is far more provocative than anything Ojo did, and nothing happens. Every time Morelos has scored against us, he acts provocatively yeah. towards our support. Jota for Celtic, it happens every week in every stadium that players, you know, get it up to support. So, honestly, I, I mean, I don't, I honestly don't know what to say. It's just the worst decision, and it's reflected in the fact that people have got no interest in Aberdeen. Are calling out as well the likes of you know John John Sutherland or you know even Ricky Foster's actually called out Colin Hendry even retweeted or liked one of our tweets about this which is crazy about the fact that there's all these guys who don't give a shit about Aberdeen Football Club are looking at that and going that's a horrendous call Chris Sutton was at it I think earlier on today as well everybody who's looked at it has gone I don't understand what's happened there and I can't understand how we've got to a situation where Ojo was being sent off there are, there are people on our Twitter feed who have liked our posts asking what the fuck with Union Jacks in their, in their handle. Yes. <laughs> that shows where we are. Yeah, it, I actually think that is, if on Twitter you are saying something and you have got 11 other clubs, because actually largely Dundee United fans agree that it is not acceptable, 
then, I mean, I have seen a few shockers with people imagining things that have happened. And when I've asked if they've got video of it, because genuinely I would be interested to see. So someone said yesterday, Ojo, Ojo pushed him. And I was like, all oh, right, okay, fine, guys. Because I didn't see it in real time. I hadn't seen that. If someone has a video where Ojo has done something, that's absolutely fine, but no one does. And I think someone posted today, and obviously Rangers fans are all over it saying, this is nonsense, blah, 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 what about tree? But it's a valid point that Tavernier had an incident where a fan is on the outskirts of the pitch and going for the ball, it's just a little... I mean, Tavernier pushes him twice, doesn't get booked. Whether he's right to push him or not, do two wrongs make a right, should you be engaging in that behaviour? Probably not. But in that moment, you know, he's like, what are you doing? Get You can tell Tavernier's just, what are you doing? Get away from me, this is ridiculous, because that should be happening. You know, the steward should have that under control. He puts his hands up. He doesn't really do anything other than push him back. Nothing happened. The, the thing was on that one, it's not what aboutery from me around, look at this, this is a disgrace. Tavernier should never get booked for that incident either. No, I don't think so. I think he is in a difficult situation because the stewards haven't had control, someone's on the pitch there, and he is clearly shocked. And the referee's job, part of the referee's job is to protect the players, which is why stupid challenges are dealt with because you protect players' safety, and that involves lots of things, both on and off the park. I, I think Bob Madden has not seen it. But the problem is going to be is that, you know, you say, oh, if we find out this, we're not going, there's nothing can be done about it. We can't appeal a second yellow. And I suspect, I don't think anything will happen. No, it's not even as though this situation, we spoke about yesterday where Madden's going to get demoted down a couple of leagues for four or five months or anything like that. I mean, this is the thing, and anyone's listening in, and I doubt there'll be very many Rangers fans listening into this podcast, but you never know. Um, they did seem to like a post that we did a couple of weeks ago an awful lot, so maybe they do. I don't know. Oh, well, we should tell them that long staff's really good, and they could have them in January. Let's start, let's start doing that. That's a good plan. They, they, um, did not, they didn't like that post. <laughs> no, they didn't like that post. Um, the, the Tavernier thing, Tavernier, the Tavernier thing. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's not what about Ray around it's it's highlighting an inconsistency in officiating is what that does. It's not saying Tavernier should have been this or that. It's for me, Tavernier was perfectly tight in that situation to be quite frank, to lay the support out. If he comes on the pitch like that, he's entitled to do that. As far as I'm concerned is the players on the pitch, whether you detest them, whether you, you know, whatever you think about a Rangers player, a Celtic player, whatever, it's not in the place of the support to get on the pitch or even not even on the pitch to do what that guy did yesterday to Ojo. Ojo's done absolutely nothing wrong. And the inconsistency there is the thing that screams out to me that in that instance, the referee's taking the view to protect the player and we move on. Madden, for whatever reason, yesterday decides it's a second book in and off you go. It is without a shadow of doubt for me, the worst refereeing decision I've ever seen in the flesh. And I actually thought that the worst refereeing decision I was going to see for a long time was John Beaton's, but... No, step up, Bobby Madden. It was it was just absolutely bizarre. And I think, I don't think he can have been trying to even it up because, I mean, one, people talk about this. You can say what you like about referees and how competent or not they are. I don't think they really do that because you're not meant to. You put mistakes out of your mind and that's meant to be it. You move on. I don't think he is trying to even it up. I also think the sending off for Dundee United was absolutely justified. I mean... I also think that's probably boring. I mean, that's boring to violent conduct. So that's unnecessary and ridiculous. And that is a red card. And actually, I haven't seen any complaints about that at all from anyone. Tempers are obviously running high. And I think I think the issue is that he's not seen it. And there has been a decision to give a second yellow. But I don't say you can do that having not seen something. Would it have changed? Would it have won anyway? Maybe not. We weren't very good. We're not very good. But 
Dundee United weren't very good either. And having an extra person, you know, would have probably made some sort of difference. I'm not saying we'd have scored a goal. I think we potentially one of those games where we could still be playing now and not scored a goal. But it does, you know, you can't, we can't say we're lost or not lost. And that is the problem because we might have won, we might not, but we'll never know because Madden didn't give anyone the chance to find that out because he made a decision that I think, I think is wrong. I think a lot of people seem to think that. And what actually, and I retweeted something yesterday that I think is probably quite worrying, which is that is now given fans, I would say, the encouragement that they need to behave like that. So there are lots of pitches where the fans are really close to the players because of, you know, other than Hamden, you're generally not a million miles away from the pitch. So I think, you know, people are joking about it, but genuinely on Saturday, I'd be very surprised if you don't get a couple of fans thinking they're going to, you know, show off and press their pals, I'll push someone, I'll get them sent off, I'll start this, I'll start that. And it creates a worrying situation whereby that is allowed to happen. And I, I'm, uh, as I understand, I think the fan was still there. Have you seen a worse one, Graham? What do you think? Probably not. It's just two points. One, it's quite incredible that we're talking about the worst decision and we're not using the words William and Colm to follow that. <laughs> so well done, Bobby Madden. And secondly, I think it is the case that he, I don't think anyone was ejected. Now, where that happened, given that we, you know, one of the reasons your ticket price is higher is because you have to pay for the police and the stewards. If if those people sat that match out, I don't understand what the what the stewards and the police are supposed to be there for. Stewards right there. This, if you watch it back in the video, definitely seen it. The steward is right there in the middle. I, of it. That, that's my point. They're there, and they're coincidentally they are right at the incident. But I don't believe anything happened. Yeah. So I'm struggling to understand what the point. But stand up in your seat, and you'll get a squad of them coming up to to try and deal with that. Uh, it's it's pretty inexcusable all round. Uh, and I don't know if it really reflects too well on his fellow fans either. I'd be disappointed if you know something like that happened to Petodri and everyone around about thought that's fine, that's suitable conduct. I mean, there's been some outrageous takes on it from Dunyane fans in the last 24 hours. I've seen some people claim that Ojo assaulted the ball boy in the in the run-up to it, which is like, that's the most mad thing I've ever seen because if that had happened, A, we'd have all seen it, and B, we'd have probably all gone, mm, maybe he shouldn't have done that. Maybe in that instance, you know, somebody's worthwhile getting involved. Franz Ojo did not assault a child yesterday. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, you know, there's some absolutely mad takes doing the rounds. I... The other thing as well, though, for me, Madden for me as well, it wasn't just that one incident. I am still trying to fathom how the guy masquerading in the, what appeared to me one of those padded outfits you get for Halloween in the number eight shirt for Dundee United, I think he's Peter Pollitt, how he stayed on the pitch yesterday. He didn't even get booked. The incident with McKenzie, I've seen people get sent off for. The, the first incident with McKenzie, the, the, the head to challenge, He's so late to it. It reminded me a little bit of um, Don Ball and Ryan Christie in the League Cup final. Did Peter Pollock disappear and come back with the top with no name and number on? I got very... I mean, the whole game was just that suit around me. Do they not have a scary top? Quite tin pot, isn't it? I mean, I watched Shrewsbury Bolton on Wednesday, which was brilliant, and one of the Shrewsbury players got booked for his goal celebration, which is probably fair enough, and he took his top off of it and one of the fans grabbed it. It was gone. And he came out with the top with no name and number. And my dad and I thought, oh dear, they can't afford a top with a name on. I think we've talked about this game an awful lot. All I'm going to say on that matter is it was a lot more fun when Peter Pollitt was cheating for Aberdeen. Yeah, I agree on that part, definitely. Peter Pollitt didn't like his new chant either, I don't think. Maybe he needs to take that padded shirt off. Um, that might help matters. 
there's one other thing I think we need to talk about Ash, from yesterday before we move on to top downs. Stephen Glass's comments after the game about the Ojo incident. And again, I've seen a lot of people online talking about this, taking a view on it. I have my thoughts, but I'll, um, I'll let you guys go first. Well, the club have just put a statement out, actually. Um, hot, hot off the press. I say this is on Twitter, it's not secret. And by the time that everyone will have read it, by the time they listen. But yeah, so they're basically just saying that they condemn the events and it's not acceptable. And, um, you know, that they, well, they also hope that it's going to be um, looked at in relation to um, addressing the injustice of the sending off. There is no basis for the yellow to be rescinded, so I can't see that there's going to be any hope of that. Um, and as they're saying, they can't be comment any further. It's now a criminal investigation. I think I got I was confused because I thought the last got sent off because he was angry because Bobby Madden wrongly booked Ojo, but then his interview suggested that he didn't think it was wrong. I don't know what had gone on. I got the impression that Glass was sent off because I think he was complaining more actually about Pollock getting away with two on Mackenzie, I, I think. Because he spoke about yesterday, he highlighted that exact incident where Madden sent off a Livingston player for a challenge, which was very, very similar to the head knock incident. Um, and then, so he, at the very least, Pollock should have been booked for that and he should have then been booked for the one at the, right on half time. So Pollock should have been gone. I could probably understand that the manager hasn't, at, the, at half time, seen the Ojo incident properly. I could understand if that was the case, given how it came about. I mean, a lot of people on the ground didn't see it at the time yesterday because they weren't focusing in on it. So I can understand that. But obviously, just looking at the Aberdeen statement tonight, it doesn't. Stephen Gunn has said that the manager is fiercely protective and supportive of all his players. And having viewed the footage and spoken to the player, he's totally behind Funzo over this atrocious incident. And like I say, there was some, there was a lot of quarrelling going on. I think about Glass's statement last night or his 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 comments after the match yesterday. Gav Graham, I think you guys had a bit of a view on this when we were talking last night or or this morning. I'm I'm not up for you know defending your players at all costs if they've done something stupid. As far as I'm aware, and based on what I've seen to date, Ojo did nothing. So the reference to Ojo to an extent has let us down because he could have walked away. I just think that's unreasonable. The first line, which was, I hadn't had the chance to speak to him, he looks disappointed. He feels like he's let us down. Fine. Just draw, just draw a line under that. I don't think he needs to add anything else to suggest that Glass has, you know, is of the opinion that Ojo's done something wrong. I know he got a little bit twisted, maybe with some of the quotes that other outlets used, but I'm looking at what's on the AFC website at the moment. I just don't think he needs to add that bit. It sort of suggests to me that he's of the opinion that Ojo could have done something different, but I don't know what he could have done short of not trying to recover the ball to keep the game going. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people got bent out of shape yesterday when the BBC quote came out, which was entirely selective and made it look a lot worse than it actually was. Um, I think when you see the full quote, which is the one you've just spoken about there, Graham, I, I think it's probably a bit clumsy on Glass's part where he talks about the fact that I think what he's doing is, I think what he's trying to say is, you know, to an extent he's given the referee a decision to make potentially by taking a couple of steps back up the steps. And in an ideal world, in a perfect world, you would rather you didn't even give the referee an opportunity to have to make a decision, clearly. But in fairness to Glass, he does then say, but of course, it's 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 difficult to walk away from that. So at least he does, you know, he accepts the fact that it's a difficult thing to do and he's going to support the player. 
I don't think Glass was really trying to hang Ojo out to dry yesterday by saying he'd let us down and he'd done that and done the next thing. He shouldn't have done it. I think what he's trying to say is he's he's given the referee a decision to make, but it's perfectly understandable why he's reacted the way he's reacted. But I think it's really clumsy. I think it's really clumsily worded, but I think people getting really bent out of shape about it are kind of probably focusing on the wrong thing, I think. And that's possibly just to heat the moment. You know, Stephen Glass is not flavour of the month. So... You know, it's a defeat. There's that incident. You, you maybe see that quote and people are oh, the managers hanging out to dry. You're right. When you look at it on the full statement, it sort of softens the blow a little bit, but I don't think it's worded. I don't think he chose his words particularly well. To me, he should have left it in absolutely no doubt that based on what we've seen to date, Ojo did absolutely nothing wrong. And I think he should have just been explicit on that point personally. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think he really was trying to hang him out, but He's 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 not used he's not he's not worded it in a particularly good way. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think there's anything in it other than he's just not picked the right words at the right time. We've had quite a lot of um, bookings and sending off sort of our coaching staff this season, if we not, which I would be all for. Like, if we were a bit more like you know rough and it was like exciting and we obviously there was passion there, I'd be loving it. But great, what we're getting sent off for? Like, what's the point? It's not helping, is it? It's causing problems. I mean, if you're going to get sent off for something, I don't even know what yesterday's was for. Just, I don't know, it's like we're just trying to be this like really passionate team and then we just don't bother. And it is becoming, it's becoming quite dull. Like every time we have a game on the telly, we must be on telly next week or on Sunday. And you just think, imagine neutral watching this. It must be like, I've got friends in England who aren't really big into football. One of them was talking about watching highlights. And I was like, I wouldn't bother, to be honest. Um, give that a miss. Well, the only highlight worth watching is the Ojo sending off incident, just to say, look at how mad Scottish football actually is. It's great for Dan, I love it. Gav? Yes? Anything to add? It might have been a poor choice of words, but for me, unequivocal support is what Ojo should have had yesterday, and not in any, even the slightest inference that he was at fault yesterday is... To me, not good enough for my Aberdeen manager. And I think that there's people in that dressing room who could easily look at those quotes and think he did not stand by his player. And yeah, that could come back to bite him. Who knows? Right, let's 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 wrap up that one from yesterday. Top Dons for you guys yesterday. Or Don one, I guess, potentially. Scott Brown. I just love him. I think he's brilliant. I almost think he is brilliant. I think, and I said this before, when he played for Celtic, you don't like him because he plays for Celtic, obviously. And you watch him in a totally different way. Now he plays for us, you see the way he commands the game, you see the little, like, the things he does, the things he says, the little, like, clever things. I just think he's very good. I also think Teddy Jenks was actually fine. Um, you know, didn't do a huge amount, but then he didn't do anything that was horrendous either. I think Gurr was better than I expected, having not seen him since Wraith, maybe, I think was the last time we saw him. I think he was fine. I think Dean Campbell maybe scrapes a pass. I think Dean Campbell gets far too much abuse, and there's really nothing wrong with him. No, Scott Brown is my man of the match. Imagine, if someone had told me last year, I'd be saying that. It's bizarre, isn't it? I know. Um, I'd go along with that. Scott Brown, McGeek was good. McCrory was good. Jacker, good shift. Well done. Beyond that, um, Austin Samuels did a good warm-up. That's, <laughs> that's about as good as I can get. Graham, top down, if you've got one. I honestly don't think I can pick one probably like everyone said some were better than others but like I it's not trying to be really negative I, I don't think there was a standout I, for me there wasn't one standout person who was just trying to drag us through that game yes some guys were better than others who was your least awful player and why is it Scott Brown I'm going to flip it around my biggest surprise was Jack Kerr 
I see he's getting a lot of stick. I thought he was absolutely fine considering what we've seen to date. I thought he did a decent job. Other than that, guys that you would expect to be okay where they are thereabouts and a couple of guys like Watkins you'd expect a bit more from just didn't really deliver, which was really disappointing because I feel like when he's playing well and making good runs and passes, we look like we might score a goal. If he's off the boil, Ramirez huffs and puffs. And I like him and I do think he's capable of scoring goals, but I feel like he needs people to be sort of laying them on a plate for him. He's not particularly quick. He's not particularly strong. So I don't see him creating much for himself. Um, so yeah, Watkins a little bit disappointing. So my least surprising or least disappointing player was Jack Kerr. Um, Only one for me, actually, yesterday, Ross McCrory. I thought he was really, really good yesterday. Um, I've been banging the Ross McCrory drum for a little while now at, at centre half, and I thought yesterday was a really, a really solid performance by Ross McCrory in a position that I think he's really starting to grow into. Um, did well in the back three to begin with. Didn't let anything get past him. Thought his distribution was actually all right. Second half, I thought he marshaled Dean Campbell alongside him pretty well, as as well as he could. And then having done all that, I thought when he moved to right back, he, he tried to get up and down the line as best he could as well. So for me, Ross McCrory, keep at it, Loon. I think there might actually be a centre-half in there. What I like about McCrory is that he has basically this season not been in his own position. So his position was really Kevin Fergie in the middle of a defensive midfield, the Graham Shinney-style, that pairing. Scott Brown obviously kind of steals that position from him, plus we need McCrory elsewhere because we're so short. He has basically just been shoved in. I think the Carabag game, he was, there was a few shockers, he was not good, but he was just pushed in there. He was having to play on the left side, he's not really got a left foot. I think he has probably not had a great time this season, but much like Dean Campbell, when he is asked to do something, he gets on with it and he gets on with it in a really good way. I think he sets a great example. I think he is diligent and puts us all in you know there are players who have tantrums about the smallest thing and I think Ross McCrory is mature and sensible in the way he plays and his lack of Scotland call is probably just because he's not shown himself to be that great in the out position you know places he's been forced to play in and I think actually he has been a very very valuable player to us and deserves a lot of credit for what he's done this season I feel a bit sorry for him imagine turning up to work and do something different every day I'll go here, go there, do this, do that. And he does that and he looks, you know, I think he puts it all on. I really like him. I think that's one of our better signings in a while. On that note, I get the idea that he's growing into being a centre-back and I agree. But when he moved into right wing-back, you saw the strength and ability that he has with the ball yeah. running with yeah. it. It uh, then makes you think, though, are we getting the most out of Ross McClory by him being a centre-back? We'll leave that there for people to think about. That's a very good point. Let's let's move on. Looking at other news from Pataudry this week and on the women's side, Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath's side travelled to Airdrie to face Celtic in SWPL1. Another daunting fixture against one of the fully professional sides in the league. Captain Kelly Forrest making a welcome return to the starting lineup alongside Natasha Bruce and Bailey Collins. And new signing, Aliyah J. Meach, started on the bench as Aberdeen, sitting in ninth spot, looked to improve on their recent run of five straight defeats against the Celtic side, sitting in third place, unbeaten in their last four outings. And it was Celtic buoyed by last week's League Cup semi-final victory 
over Rangers, who started the brightest, and Don's keeper Gilmore had to act sharply to stop Charlie Wellings opening the scoring. Whilst the Dons were on the back foot for much of the first half, they were defending well and took the lead against the run of play on 39 minutes. So good pressing by the Dons' front line. Saw the ball break to Bailey Hutchison, who showed a fine turn of pace to beat Craig before placing a fine low shot beyond the Celtic goalkeeper to give Aberdeen a shock lead. And the Dons weathered an immediate response from Celtic to go in at halftime, a goal to the good. A halftime substitution saw Nadia Sopel replace Louise Brown, and Sopel came agonisingly close to latching onto a Hutchison through ball in the opening minutes of the second half. Unsurprisingly, Celtic began to turn the screw, but were met with a resolute Aberdeen defence, restricting their hosts into a number of long-range efforts. Aberdeen breathed a sigh of relief as a Jacinta shot smashed the bar and Craig failed to nod home the rebound, while Ailey Shore nearly grabbed a second for Aberdeen with a fantastic burst from the midfield, her shot sliding just wide of the post. And a double change for Celtic on 71 minutes changed the game with the introduction of Clarissa Larissi providing an instant impact as she latched onto a lofted ball over the Dons' defence to nudge past Gilmore to make it 1-1. And it was Larissi again who gave Celtic the lead on 86 minutes, a shot deflecting into her path and she slotted home despite looking to have been in an offside position. And Celtic made it 3-1 to wrap up the points in the final minute as Tolan's cross was met by Shorts who nodded home. A harsh final score in Aberdeen, who looked comfortable for much of the game, but perhaps the fitness levels of the fully professional side providing Celtic with an advantage as the game wore on. In the end, there'll be a huge amount of positives for Emma Hunter and Gavin B to take from the performance. And with the home fixture next week against Partick Thistle, that starts a run of three games that the Dons will view as being of a kinder nature and hopefully allow more confidence and points to be built up. Moving on to the young team, Two sendings off were the downfall for the Dons as they suffered a 2-1 defeat at home to Hamilton in the Cass under-18 league. The Dons starting the game brightly with Aki's goalkeeper May, saving well from Ryan Duncan, making his return from injury in the fifth minute before Harvey narrowly missed a cross from Adam Emsley as Aberdeen began to turn the screw. 15 minutes in and Alfie Babbage, who's been in a fine run of form recently, was just denied by May in the Aki sticks. But the game turned on its head in 19 minutes. A long clearance from Aki saw Timmy Fatona on the wrong side of a Hamilton player and his efforts to challenge Miko was a judge by the referee to be one denying a goal-scoring opportunity and he was shown a straight red and from the resulting free kick, Miko stuck it into the top corner to give Aki's the lead. Hamilton made it two just before half-time. Miko again involved. His shot was stopped by Olemi but the rebound fell kindly to Gaffney who slotted home to leave Aberdeen with an uphill battle. And that battle was made all the harder on 72 minutes when Evan Towler picked up a second booking for tugging the shirt of Meekin and it was game over. Aberdeen's fitness and desire did shine through, though, and the Dons grabbed a consolation goal in the last minute through Alfie Babbage. Next up for the Young Dons is a Youth Cup last 16 tie against St Mirren in Paisley on Friday night. And on loan watch, Kevin Hanratty and Tyler McKaita both started for, for Martin United in their Highland League fixture at Rothis, which ended goalless. Elsewhere in the Highland League, Tom Ritchie and Jack McIver started for Huntley as they went down by four goals to three at home to Wick Academy. Jamie Shingler retained his spot in the Keith starting 11 as they were thumped 7-1 by Brora Rangers. Jack Milne returned to the Brecon City lineup and played 75 minutes as they saw off Lossiemouth by five goals to nil. In League Two, Connor Barron and Kieran Nguyenia started as Kelty Hearts beat Stenhouse Muir 2-0. Barron playing for 87 minutes and opening the scoring for Kelty and picking up a Man of the Match award. Nguyenia making the full 90 as Kelty kept up their unbeaten record in the league. Mark Gallagher started for Forfar and lasted 62 minutes as they saw off Cowden Beef by three goals to nil. Injury kept Ryan Duncan out of the Peterhead squad again, 
Although, as we mentioned earlier, he did return for the Dons on the 18s against Hamilton, so hopefully he should be making his debut for the Blue Tunes shortly. In League One, Michael Ruth started and played the full 90 minutes as Falkirk went down by a goal to nil against Montrose. And in the Northern Irish Premiership, Luke Turner kept his place in the starting lineup, played the full 90 minutes for Cliftonville as they were beaten 1-0 by Linfield. And on Ronnie Hernandez's watch, Hernandez was an unused substitute for Atlanta United as their season came to an end as they crashed out of the playoff with a 2-0 defeat at New York City FC. So that leaves the wide open question. Will we see Ronnie Hernandez return to Pataudry in the near future? Tune in to find out. So let's have a look at the Fantasy Football Scotland League for this week. I'm going to save mine to last because it's a, a truly stunning week's result. So Gav, Graham, Aaron, do you want to have a, an explanation about how you got on this week? Well, for myself, 32 points, half of which have come from Dundee United players. So in a way, thank you, Dean Campbell, for leaving Ian, Mar- Ian Harks completely unmarked in our penalty area. When it comes crashing down and it hurts inside. Um, I got 11 whole points because I've used my wild card because we're having a disastrous season. It's not any better since, to be fair. But obviously, I'm faithful and have three Aberdeen players in. And Ramina doesn't do anything. Ferguson's suspended and Ramsey's injured. And then I've got players involved in cup competitions. So there's excuses to why it's a bad week. And I've not really had a great week yet because... And anyone, if your team's having a bad time, by the way, and you want someone to score, you want them not to concede, be like, you know, on Twitter, I can put those players in for you and get it sorted, because that's what happens. I put in Mulgrew last week and he got minus one. Graham? Yeah, it's just crap as usual. Uh, 28 points. That's better than 11, isn't it, Graham? Thanks. Well, yeah, sorry, it is better 11. Okay, maybe we can cut that a bit. I had a reasonable week where I got 28 points. I did have, well, like everyone else, actually, a few boys who are not playing because of the cup games. I only had Ramirez in my team, but yeah, I did absolutely nothing. I had a couple of Dundee United players, but neither captained or vice-captained them, which was obviously stupid in hindsight. So yeah, 28 points, which means leaves me languishing as usual. Then at the bottom end of, the, well, every league I'm in. What's your total points? Five, seven, nine. Oh, Okay. What's everyone else's total points? I'll come out that in a second. I'm somewhat confused by my points total this week. So I've got 11 points as well, um, which, again, shows how much attention I pay to this because one, two, three, four, five, six of those players were not even eligible because we're playing in the Cup this week. Of my 11 points, over 50% came from Charlie Mulgrew, which is not good. But yet, I have Benjamin Seagreast with eight points and... Beavis Mugabe with six points on my bench but they don't appear to have been stuck into my team because Xander Clark obviously would have been playing in the cup so shouldn't be eligible and Rooney is in my defensive line so I could be up here for a 14 point swing which would take me up to 25 points if that all happens which suddenly wouldn't look too bad my total is 591 for the season I am sitting in 176th place out of 246 in the ABZFP league this week it's all gone wrong. It's all gone horribly wrong for me. It's a season of transition. I'm on 690, so I feel a lot better about that because I've been having a bad, bad time. I've used my wild card, so basically I'm now just kind of... I'm doing... Do what we can, muddle through, cobble something together until I can use my wild card in January. Gav, where are you sitting now, mate? 
Uh, I am creeping up the table. I am now in 73rd position in our That's league. That's not bad. I get with 704 it. points overall. Looking at the top of the table, so Jack Curran and his two turkeys still remain out top. He had 31 points this week, which is a pretty respectable number. And he stretched his lead at the top to 30 points. 855 over Giac's Silly Geese. 29 points, he's sitting on 8-2-5 and he's tied in second place with Old Kent Road. I can't decide if this is a sleeper cell again. There's no... Well, there is one Rangers player in there, but yeah, it's, it's questionable. A bad week for Callum Reid. Eight points for Beach End Boys, which is obviously Dave Cormack's favourite team. He slipped down into fourth. From there on in, it's, it, no one's had a particularly good week, I don't think. Queen's 11, Jamie Girdwood, he had a good week, 40 points. That's not good. Need to sort that out. I think everyone's been the victim of the cup weekend. Oh, jet to failure. Forty po- uh, in fortieth place. He had three points. Three points. Well done. I mean, to be fair to him, one, two, three, four, five, six. Six players would have been out of that one. So there we go. I, I don't think as much more I could say about this one. To be honest, everyone will have had a bad week because a lot of people do have Rangers and Celtic players in. I only have one Rangers player in. Pains me to have it but it's because there was often a penalty. That'll be subject to a 400-point deduction at the end of the season due to our petty league rules. So I'm sorry about that. just doesn't happen. I mean, I think that's why fair, but there's often a penalty. It's a thing. Those rules, I was, I was about to say I don't make them, but I do. Can I just make a point that um, in 75th position, Ramirez Rams has scored one point? Oh, oh. Who got the one point? Who was the big player? Who was the MVP in that team? The thing is, he's... He's actually got five points for Boyce and Ramirez, who he captained, but he's obviously uh, gone over budget and he's had a minus four deduction for that. So not a good week. Let's move on. And so that wraps up part one of this week's show. Join us after the break for our preview of next weekend's visit to Celtic Park in the SPFL Premiership. And to play us out from the first half, Here's Forest Fires and their track, Deadweight. Check out the guys on Twitter at Forest underscore Fires or check out forest-firesuk.bandcamp.com. Here's Forest Fires with Deadweight. How can I learn to soar with all these impressions? Betraying only what I fear. They say it
This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Seafood Sourcing. Formed in 2016, Seafood Sourcing are Scotland's premier seafood exporter, delivering the finest quality in fish from sea to shelf in the fastest possible time. With supply from all main Scottish ports, including from Europe's largest fishing port at Peterhead, daily catches are filleted by Seafood Sourcing's high-skilled team at their facility in Fraserburgh, prior to transport on a fleet of modern, refrigerated lorries providing deliveries to as far afield as Belgium and France within 12 hours. For all of your seafood supply needs, contact Seafood Sourcing on 01346 410 080 or by email on sales at seafoodsourcing.co.uk. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast and next Sunday, Seize the Dons make our first trip to the east end of Glasgow in the league this season as we face a Celtic side buoyed by their victory over the Cup Invincibles St Johnston to make the League Cup final as Aberdeen look to address our last two results. Erin, Gav, Graham, what are we expecting on Sunday and what are we hoping for? Those two things are obviously very different. And miles apart. I, I genuinely think it would be peak Aberdeen to go to Celtic Park now and win. That's you know we can't we can't manage to be. I say we can't manage to be done United to the third. It's not so rubbish, but I mean you know they didn't look good yesterday. We can't you know we can't be who we draw draw with Ross County beat by Dundee who won a game St Johnson St Mirren. It will be a classic Aberdeen to do an Ibrox situation and go off to Celtic Park and win. Um, I hope we do. Do I think we probably not? I think. I think we we're actually unlucky at Petodre. I think we could have had a point out of that at least. I think it was the best I'd seen us play in a very long time. And I don't think Celtic are, well, we know Celtic aren't unbeatable. They've not been as good this season as we've seen. I actually, I think it is actually harder to call because on paper it should be what obviously Celtic could be absolutely doing, but maybe not. 
obviously, of course, Rangers fans all think we just lie down to Celtic. Um, actually, I think we tend to play our best football because I against Rangers and Celtic. We're quite good at home. I'm going to go a one-all draw. It's an own goal for ours, so don't worry. We're not scoring a goal. I think it's worth mentioning that so Celtic, when they beat us and they scored the, the late goal, their players celebrated like fuck in a way that you wouldn't expect Celtic do off the back of beating Aberdeen, but it was clearly a, a big result for them. And since then, it's pretty much been all wins uh, with the exception of the, the nil-nil draw at home to Livingston. And that includes two victories against Ferran Savros in the, in the Europa League, which results they wouldn't have achieved last year. So I think it's fair to say they've kicked on and there's definitely been some progress there. We're kind of back in that situation we were prior to Rangers, where I'm sort of looking at it and thinking, what kind of team are we going to cobble together given the suspensions and the injuries we've got? So in a way, I'm just respectable, competitive. That's what I'm hoping for. What do I expect? I'll quote Graham Steele. Uh, something miles apart from what I hope for. So on that note, um, but I can't say we're going to lose. I just can't do it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. right. Scrape together, a la Steve Patterson, <laughs> the David Roach winner. We're gonna we're gonna win it two one late winner from Jet Jack Gurr. Jet Jet <laughs> Jet is gonna leave their centre back for dead, slotted past. What's happened to Ramirez? What can Sedges and the rest of our team that Jet's getting on the pitch? That worries me quite a lot. Uh, the Willie Column show probably. I don't even know who the ref is next week. It doesn't even matter, does it? Let's no, no, be there'll, there'll be another injury and Jet ends up playing centre-back. That's what I'm thinking. It says a lot for the state of our performances this season that someone who routinely says we're going to win like 5-0, I've said a one-all draw. Because I'm normally so positive. But I think the, the problem is the main thing is how, who, what are we going to cobble together? And I think who's... Lewis Ferguson will be back. And I guess we might just do... Similar Ferguson and Ferojo. I don't know what the situation with McKenzie is. Sounds like he might be back too early. Calvin Ramsey and Gallagher out for a couple more weeks, I think. What's wrong with David Bates? Why wasn't he there yesterday? He was ill, apparently. I mean, I'm not saying they're desperate for him to come back next week in case Stephen Glass is listening and gets that impression. I, to be honest, we are actually getting to the point where we're struggling. There must be someone in the reserves. There must be a centre-half. <clears throat> well, there's Matt, ha- Matt Hancock is pretty much the only... I'm pretty, sure his na- I'm pretty sure his name is not Matt Hancock. Did I say Matt Hancock? Oh. I don't think it's Matt Hancock. I'm fairly though. sure it's not the host of They Think they think It's All Over in our reserve team. No, Matt Hancock's the former health secretary. Oh, that's Nick Hancock I'm thinking of, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've both I got, don't think it's either We've both those. got the wrong Hancock. Which one would you rather have? That's the question. Well, we need to find out who it is now. The internet tells me that his name is Mason Hancock. Right, so Mason we'll Hancock. edit all that out. So, yeah, the only one I think we have is Mason Hancock in the uh, reserve team, who's a centre-half, but hasn't made a bench. Michael Devlin must be... Is he back in training? Apparently he was. Is he? I saw a photo of him in a training shop. It doesn't mean he's doing anything. Mikey Devlin to rise like what Lazarus and make an appearance next Sunday at Parkhead, much to Gavin's chagrin. Then go off with a hammy. I think, <laughs> yeah, one of my last memories of Michael Devlin is him at Tynecastle. Do you remember the League Cup? It was a Wednesday night. Uh, yeah. Wednesday night, the League Cup, where we went out on penalties because McGinn Balloon just over the bar, of course, and then Sam Cosgrove and Bruce Anderson thought, oh, see what he's just done, I'm going to do the exact same thing. Um, and Michael Devlin had up there with some of the worst performances I've ever seen in a drop. And I thought, surely that's the end of Michael Devlin. And then he inevitably got injured again, and we didn't see him for a while. And I actually totally forgot. And then apparently we've given him six months just to see which I think is generous, but let's see even if he comes back from injury is fine in January and that's six months. 
I'm, what we give is it six months? Like I don't think he's still a good footballer. So I'm not sure if there's any purpose in that. I mean, I guess we need someone now, but I've never been particularly keen. I think Scott McKenna made him look quite good. I think it's the old. If the answer is Michael Devlin, what the hell's the question? <laughs> Just miss Andy, Co- Andy Constein rising up next week. Surprise shot comeback. Scores a hat trick at Celtic Park. With a couple of robo legs or something like that, the physio has done a great job on him. I think we'd all be delighted to see that. Andy Constein's return better be an absolute celebration. I was hoping we're going to Andy 600 this season, but I'll have to wait for another year. I think, Gav, you hit a really good point, though. I mean, Celtic, when we played them earlier on in the season, they didn't look any great shakes, and I thought we did okay against them. But they celebrated that win like it was like they'd won a cup at the end and I think that was a massive win for Celtic actually that day it was their first win in, in the league away from home since was it February or something daft like that uh, they've I think they're unbeaten in 10 now domestically they've won most of them I think they won, I think it's won nine and, and had that nil nil draw against Livingston it feels as though they've really kicked on from that game at Pataudry and I think they found some they found a system they found a way to play that suits most of their players I watched them against Hibs I think at Easter Road and to be honest, they were quite frightening in that opening 40 minutes, their movement and the way they tore Hibs apart, although, you know, it was Hibs. So the only same grace for us could be they play in Germany on Thursday night against Bayer Leverkusen in the Europa League. So it's a must-win game for that one. It's a, it's a game Celtic need to get something out of, I think, if they've got any hopes of getting out of their group in the Europa League. So there's always a hope there that they go there with the first, you know, a full-strength 11 and, and, and do themselves out try to get a result. But... The biggest concern I have is just around what sort of side we're able to cobble together. If we if we start at Celtic Park with a a back three or a four, which involves Gar Campbell Hayes again in 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 one form of that, and doesn't involve a centre half that we recognise, I'd, I'd be really concerned about how we go about our business because. Even if you look at the midfield area, it might be Ferguson and McGee, I think, maybe in the centre of the park. That might do a bit of a job in protecting, but there's not enough protection down the flanks there for me. There's not enough through the middle of the park to create anything. It could be a very, very long afternoon at Celtic Park next Sunday. What's your score prediction? 2 2. Because <laughs> I can't bring I can't bring myself I can't bring myself to say we get beat. So Well, I said one all and I said it on goal though, because obviously just got to go. Who's gonna Who's gonna score our two? Two on goals: Carter Vickers and Joe Hart, hoofing the ball in his own net because he was too busy checking out his hair for dandruff. I wouldn't put it past him. I thought it. I thought it Bataudry, The one thing we didn't capitalize on was that Joe Hart looked. I would say a little bit ropey. I think he looks like a keeper who can make a shocker. I have a lot of admiration for Joe Hart because that's a guy who walks around thinking he's the cock of the walk with a way, way higher opinion of himself than his ability actually deserves. It's a weird one. The last time I said to my dad, it's so weird that, what, nine years ago, I remember Joe Hart going absolutely mad when Man City scored that winner, the 3-2 QPR, and the reason you don't leave games early. And now, nine years later, he's just at Pataudry looking as though he's got the... He could be a potential to be an absolute liability. I think Joe Hart actually is not a bad keeper. I think he's definitely a lot better than Celtic had. But I do think... He had, there was a couple of moments where he just did not look safe at all. And what we need is Ramirez to be more aggressive, pushing. You know, there seems to be this misconception that you can't go anywhere near the keeper. You can't tackle the keeper. We can run. You can make the keeper's life difficult. You can make it, you know, 
all it takes is a mistake. And okay, you're not going to score goals like that every week, but I think we need to pressure more. Ramirez, I think, sometimes is too nice. I want him to be a little bit more... He has Adam Rooney tendencies in a good way, so he'll you know, tap in and he'll get goals and he can do that, but just need him to do a bit more play. And I think, I think he's very nice and that's fine, but I would like it if he just put himself about a bit more. I'd like Scott Brown to score next week, to be fair. I think that would be absolutely brilliant. Because I don't know what he would do. Do you think he'd celebrate? I don't think he would noise up the home support in the same way he did at Ibrox. I think we can all I think on he would that. celebrate because I think he would celebrate any goal he scored, but I think he would do it slightly differently. His celebration at Ibrox was the best thing I've seen. I think that's absolutely class. Actually, if he does the Morello celebration at Celtic Park, oh, I'm having that. Oh, I would, because they would love that as well. And, I'm, and I don't, I don't mind, I think this whole, we want everyone to hate something. What I actually quite like is when, after the Morello celebration, fans of like the other 10 clubs were like, that's class. It's great. I think if Scott Brown scores next week, it'll be a quiet little fist bump to himself and then that'll be it. I, I can't imagine it'll be anything more than that. I would, I hope if he listens to this, if you listen to this, Scott Brown, do the Morello celebration again. <laughs> Graham? <sighs> Celtic seem to have sorted out their defence, which you know was pretty shabby when we played them. I don't see how we're going to get anything out of the game, to be honest, especially because we'll have cobbled together system players and I suspect we'll be negative and not try and actually take the game to them, which I generally think suits us a little bit better, given that we can't defend. Why would you not try and go and attack them? But I think we'll sit in and, I don't know, be two or three, and I don't think we'll ever really threaten them. We're only scoring two or three, you think? No, no, we're only shipping two or three. So there's a cheery outlook. I, I just don't see it. There's nothing... Are we scoring any goals? I don't think so. Just just on just on Sunday or for... Even Joe Hart's not scoring for us. When do you think we'll next win a game? Who do you think it'll be against? Uh, Livingston, a uh, week on Wednesday. What are you basing that on? Uh, we beat them away, didn't we? I don't even remember. We're on the pitch. We, we did, yep. Thanks I to... Uh, pitch, to be clear, I was not on the pitch. Graham was. Graham was, sli- Graham was slipping the stewards a tenner to get on. My hamstrings can't handle that leap from the seat and over the, <laughs> the gates these days, so I was firmly in the stand. But I, I, I just don't see us getting anything out of. It'll be good, though. A week on Wednesday, you can watch Jason Holt in the flesh. Yes, battering into people and not receiving a booking. I'm very much looking forward to that. Your favourite player. We'll put, we'll put Jet on, I suspect, just because that's the thing that you do, isn't it? You put four <laughs> yeah, players true. on. It's like a. Oh, thing. yeah. Uh, I might have to leave early. Inevitably, Jet will play for no purpose because I'm pretty sure we'll play them, uh, whatever, of the Tony Macaroni. Pretty sure he didn't do anything there, but he'll play, of course, because it's his old club and that's the thing. Um, you know, classic Abdeen, we'll beat Celtic and then we'll leave to Livingston in some minute. So, Graham, score prediction. I'm saying we're going to lose 3 0. Graham. I know, but. I have to be the pessimistic one. On that, and on that bombshell, that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Erin. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. Hopefully, we'll get you back on again towards the back end of the season. Let, let's see where we are in the table. Eighth. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 20. Yes, 20. We've made it that far with this absolute nonsense where we'll look back at our SPFL fixture at Celtic Park before previewing our home doubleheader against Livingston and St Mirren. We'll take our regular look at the women's team, the young team and Lone Watch and to celebrate the milestone of 20 episodes we're going to bring you the latest in our series of exclusive interviews with Don's personalities of past and present with a man who joined Aberdeen in the summer of 1988 
making 290 appearances for the Dons, winning the Cup double in the 1989-90 season, the 1988-89 PFA Players Player of the Year before being inducted into the 2019 class of the Aberdeen Hall of Fame. It's the one and only Theodorus Antonius Gerardus Schnelders. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free.